Well, can I invite you to turn with me to uh, 1 John, which was read to us. Um, We're going to look at verses 5 to 10 tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we've already prayed, we do ask for the gift of preaching, that you would give that gift for the sake of your church, and that you would receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I was looking at a TED video last night, if you know what these are, TED Talks, and it was on lies. And it said, recent social study research has revealed some startling statistics. People lie on average 10 to 20 times a day. And when strangers meet, in the first 10 minutes of the conversation, on average, they will lie three times. Interesting statistics. Senator Hiram Johnston, or even and Dr. Samuel Johnston, or Aeschylus, each of them reportedly has said, the first casualty of war is truth. I want to begin by reading some words from this book by Jordan Peterson, um, Ten Rules for Life. Uh, Rule number eight is always tell the truth, or at least don't lie. It is deceit that produces the terrible suffering of mankind. The death camps of the Nazis, the torture chambers and genocide of Stalin, and that even greater monster Mao. It was deceit that killed hundreds of millions of people in the 20th century. It was deceit that almost doomed civilization itself. It is deceit that still threatens us most profoundly today. Peterson is talking about his experience as a clinical psychologist um, of the chaos that comes in personal life and in his studies of genocide and uh, in Nazism and communism and uh, Stalinism, etc., the, the chaos that lies do either on a personal level or in a, a corporate level or community level. Um, as far as he's concerned, lies are a very serious business and deceit. Well, lies and lying are serious matters. John definitely thinks that's the case. But he would say to us, if um, truth is the first victim of war, then the second casualty, or the first casualty rather, the first casualty of lies is fellowship. That's what he's saying in this passage. The first casualty of lying is fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And the second casualty of lies comes from a self-inflicted wound. The liar deceives him or herself. Proverbially, we shoot ourselves in the foot when we lie. Throughout the years, even in, in John's day, the church has had two problems with liars. Heretics who lie and heresies that they teach. And generally speaking, um, heretics have always been agreeable people, pleasant people. Um, otherwise, why would you believe lies if they were nasty people? But that's the case, you know. Um, Arius or Arius was quite a good guy, socially wise. Um, not in terms of doctrine. 
And the second thing is heresies never, are never simple. They never come marked with a tag. This is a lie. Don't believe it. They're always a mixture of lies and truth. And sometimes heresies are validated by scriptural texts. And so in our day, it makes it difficult for the Christian to discern what is right and wrong sometimes. And John's congregation were in that same position. How do you discern what is right and wrong in terms of doctrine and practice, what we believe and how we live? Heretics have left the congregation, he says, but they've left behind a mess. There's suspicion about one another, one of the fruits of lies, and there's uncertainty about the truth, and there's, what do you say, uh, double-mindedness about what it means to live the Christian life. So, to help them restore fellowship and to find joy again, John needs to unveil the lie. He'll talk more about lies in this letter, but this is what he's doing here. Um, He wants to unveil the lie and bring these out into the light so there can be healing and restoration and guidance and knowledge and joy again. Jesus' principle in the Gospels, the truth will set you free, is applied by John here in his letter. So in verses 5 to 10, what do we find? We find him beginning with um, one trustworthy, truthful declaration in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him, there's no darkness at all. That, that declaration, and then there are three tests, um, three claims that he submits to that great doctrine of truth. So, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. You notice how absolute this is? No shadows in God, no shades of gray in God, it's light and no darkness. God is absolute light, and there is no darkness in him at all. You know, it's a very um, helpful thing for our contemporary society. Um, You often see um, prevalent attitudes towards truth and falsehood, good and evil, um, uh, in, uh, for example, in works of literature, uh, science fiction and fantasy. When you're trying to invent a new universe, um, people either come down like Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis to the Christian worldview, or like many others, um, to the, I don't know, Buddhist perhaps, or a dualistic worldview, um, that good um, is opposed to evil, but really there are only two sides of the same coin. It's just a matter of perspective that um, they're absolute together, equal in power, good and evil, and that's the background of this imaginary universe. And this duality is seen in, in our society as well. No such thing as truth, it's only what you say is true. And when you're writing this out, you, you see things like devils who are just as good heroes as others just because they've got a different name, a bad name, um, but they are heroes nonetheless. Now, over against this idea of dualism, of, of you know, God on one side being good and on the other side being evil, he states with absolute clarity that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
absolute distinctive. Now, I can see, and maybe there are more, but I can see two things that is signified by that statement, God is light. The light speaks of absolute purity and perfection, goodness of character. That's on the one hand. So it's excellence, um, purity, character, trustworthiness on the one hand. And on the other hand, it speaks of um, the absolute truth of his being. Um, He's light. There's no darkness of lies in him at all. Um, There is no darkness in the Trinity, John would say. God the Father is good through and through. God is light in the sense of absolute goodness. And there are no secrets in the Trinity. No darkness in the Trinity. Um, they, They live in wonderful fellowship with one another. The Father has nothing evil in himself to be ashamed of. Therefore, he doesn't need to hide himself from the Son Likewise, the Son has nothing he needs to be ashamed of in himself. Therefore, he doesn't need to hide himself from the Father. There is fellowship because God is light. And in these verses, you notice that that John primarily is referring to the Father, verses 5 to 10. And you get the hint to that uh, when you see the contrast in verse 9. So, God is light, and then you move down. If we claim to have fellowship with him, i.e. God, um, we lie and don't live by the truth, And then in verse 7, he says, If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son. So he's been talking about God the Father in this passage, purifies us from every sin. So primarily he's talking about God the Father, but it's Trinity. God is light. Um, So there are three claims that he's testing against this big truth, God is light, there in him is no darkness at all. The first in verse 6 is the test of how we live. Do you live the truth? If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth or do not live the truth. Um, You could maybe put it down that way. Our life, however good it may seem on the outside, Um, can appear dead to God on the inside because he is light. Our, our walk is our habitual default way of living when he says that. It's what we do, what we say every day of the week, not just on Sundays or when other people are watching us. It's, it's, the, it's the thing that we do when we're caught, as it were, caught out, when we think nobody's watching or or we let our guard down. It's, it's who we really are habitually, our walk. And it's a big lie to claim that we have fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, if our habitual way of living is in the darkness, hiding our sins from ourselves and from God, hiding our need of God, not admitting to it, hiding our fear of God and our hatred of God. We're walking in the darkness. And when we're walking in the darkness, we're living a lie, not just saying lies. John says you're doing the lie. You're not doing the truth. But in contrast to that, in verse 7, he says, fellowship can only take place 
when we're walking in the light, when that's our habitual way of living, walking in the light as he is in the light. I want to draw your attention to the way that John manages to say two things in that one phrase. Let's just read it again from verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. That's not what he says, is it? But that's what he logically means. But he does that John thing, that Peter thing. He manages to say two things in the one statement. Of course we have fellowship with God if we walk in the light. But more than that, he's saying, we have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light. Walking in the light is essential for fellowship with one another. Lies destroy fellowships. Walking in the darkness destroys fellowship. Have you ever wondered why in certain times and certain places gospel work is ineffective in a congregation? Have you ever wondered why home groups are sometimes ineffective in a church? One of the reasons I would suggest, one of the major reasons, is that there are people walking in the dark. They have unforgiven sin, uncleansed sin. The legalist walks in the dark because he's made a distinction between certain sins in his or her life. He walks in the dark because he sees the sins of others far more clearly. They may be in the light, but he sees them far more clearly than his own sins. He's walking in the darkness because he excuses his own sins and magnifies the sins of others. So how can there be fellowship in a congregation with legalists? How can there be fellowship with the Father and His Son when you're living this great big lie? John says, look, I don't care how well you pray or how good your good works are. We have no fellowship with dark walkers. Walking in the light is fundamental to having fellowship with one another. Being open. Second claim to test is in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The claim to be without sin, um, rather than sins, the reached a state where we've left sin behind. Uh, If you think you're in this state, you're fooling no one but yourself, John says. That claim is obviously lies to everyone except the person that makes the claim. And that is the definition of self-deception. Someone said, you may lie to others. It destroys relationships. But if you lie to yourself, you destroy yourself. And that's what's happening here, self-deception. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. The darkness of the self-deceived is very dark, very, very dark. Don't claim to be without sin. That's a lie. You're deceiving yourself. That's putting you away from the possibility of rescue and, and being saved. It's a principle in the gospel that light illuminates both itself and darkness. The light shines in the darkness and it shows the darkness. But darkness itself can never understand itself, nor can it understand the light. The darkness 
does not grasp or understand the light, says John. There can be no inner life, inner health, inner healing, inner growth, or inner peace until self-deception is ended and we walk in the light and invite the truth in. Father, show me my darkness and teach me to hate it and to love the light. And then the third claim in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is no place in our lives. The claim never to have sinned. You might think in this gathering that that never ever happens. Uh, I visited a lady in my first charge congregation as a family. She was a good lady. Not absolutely good, of course, but she was a nice lady. Um, You know, I liked her. And I don't know how the conversation came around. I think the husband set me up. But we got on to sin. And I said, you know, we're all sinners. And she says, I'm not a sinner. Whoa. And she was really, really adamant that she was not a sinner. Even to the stage that she, after a few times, and I tried to explain what I meant, she said, I'm not a bleep, bleep, bleep sinner. And I said, well, if, if, if swearing is a sin, anyway, so... We did kind of leave um, reasonably friendly, but it, it, was, it was an interesting thing. I, I remember when I, uh, a long time ago when we were doing Christianity Explored in the days when we didn't use videos and we used um, an overhead projector. Remember what that technology is? And you get to that part in, in the Gospel of Mark when you have to look at the problem of sin. And so I put the overhead projector transparency up on, on the projector and I didn't realize I'd put it up back to front. And so it was the problem of NIS, N-I-S. You know, I thought, that's a good thing, actually, because there's so much baggage um, with the word sin. Because you ask an unbeliever, what's sin? Sex. That's what they think. Nothing else. They don't realize how deep a problem N-I-S is in life. Um, what it does the, the enmity that you have towards God, the, the ignoring of God, the living your life as if you were God, the turning your back on all that is good from God, and the anger that God has towards people in their sin, the problem of sin, they, they don't get it because, well, they think it's just one thing, and hey, that's not that important anyway. If you claim Never to have sinned, you lie. You lie. And you make him out to be a liar. God is light. He illuminates the dirty and dark corners of our souls. He declares the truth. This is his word to us. That we have a problem called sin or nis. Which he and he alone can heal. But we need to make a place for his word. A word that says, I can forgive you and I can rescue you. Believe in me. If you make no place for that word, if you say, I've never sinned, then you cannot get the rescue. And the truth is, isn't it, that often hardened sinners, rather than accepting the word of life, we make him out to be a liar. The one who is the truth. You're a liar. I'm not a sinner. I've not got a problem with sin. You're a liar, God. And I hate you. 
Not that I believe in you anyway. So three claims against that great statement, God is light. He also gives us answers to that. What, what do we do? What, how should we act when our darkness has been exposed by God who is light? Let's just work backwards then. We'll start in verse 10 and work our way back with regard to the, um, the solution, as it were. Okay? So if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is no place in our lives. So how do we deal when God, with God when he reveals our darkness? We need to receive his word. That's all. Accept his word. Receive his word. Give it a place in your life, in your heart. He says, you are a sinner, but I love you. You are a sinner, and I don't want anything from you as a help to solve your problem. You are a sinner. I don't want you to pay me anything. And even when I forgive you, I don't want anything from you but yourself. I want you in fellowship. This is his word in the gospel to us. God says, I want you to be with me in the light. I have a place for you there. If you want it, I'm holding it out for you. So the first step that we do when the light exposes our darkness is listen to the gospel. Listen to the word of rescue. Listen to the solution that our Savior gives. Receive the word of grace. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He will not lie to you about this. He is the truth. He is eternal life to those who receive his word, even the worst of liars and self-deceivers. So make a place for his word. How do we do that? How do we make a place for his word? You know how you can keep a place in a queue for someone? Or you can keep a seat for someone in, you know, in church or at a concert. It's all about welcoming, isn't it? Um, there's a difference in the house between the spare bedroom and the living room. Um, some houses, I don't know if this is the case now, but in, in the old days, a lot of people would have what they called a good room. Um, I know a grand, my granny used to have this good room, and nobody ever would go into it except maybe funerals and ministers' visits. That's about it. And then you had a living room where all of life took place. Um, giving God a place, or his word a place in our lives, is bringing him into the living room and not the spare room, only for guests, only rarely. Or into the good room, where you're always in your best behavior and wearing your good clothes. It's bringing him into where you speak, eat, enjoy leisure and work. It's giving him a place everywhere. That's what it means to walk in the light. It's receiving his word regularly and meditating on it day and night. God is light. He will illuminate your understanding if you give him a place for his word. His word has a place in your life. We make him out to be true and we acknowledge we have sinned. That's the first step, verse 10. Next step in verse 9 is confess our sins. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confess our sins. God is light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will see two things. We will see specific sins and unrighteousness in general. So unrighteousness, which we need to be cleansed from or purified from. Um, unrighteousness. There's no part of us that's absolutely right. Every part of our lives in all different areas, whether it's mind or will or emotions, um, actions, whatever, they're all contaminated by darkness. In all areas of our, of our life, God's light reveals our unrighteousness. We are not totally right. There are spots of darkness in everything. And that needs to be purified. I remember um, we had missionaries around in the house who had been with water aid, Christian folks. And they said they had a problem out um, in Africa with weevils in the flower you know weevils which are like little tiny wee black pinheads they said and okay it might make good protein when you when you bake your stuff and but it's not really what they want so how do you get rid of the weevils from the flower how do you purify the flower from weevils now i know some of you are thinking of a dad joke about the root of all weevil and all that kind of stuff so put it out of your mind and just go back to the to the um illustration okay so they're out in Africa they can't sieve the weevils out of the flower what do they do they spread it out on a large tray so it was just a very small layer of flower and they took that tray out into the sunshine and put a book underneath it to lift the tray up and the light of the sun made all the weevils go to the edge and over the side under the tray to hide from the light is that an illustration about confessing our unrighteousness? As we walk in the light, he purifies us. We become all the weevils get, get taken out of the flower. We're purified from all unrighteousness, as he says. But then there's also needing to get specific with God, with your sins. One of the things you need to learn as a pastor is um, the difference between God in someone's conscience and the devil in someone's conscience. The Holy Spirit rarely deals with generalities. That's the devil's trick. Oh, you're a bad person. Oh, you're a sinner. You've never done right. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. It's not the way Jesus works. Um, you're always telling me you're a sinner. You're such a terrible person. Um, the Holy Spirit is specific. He draws attention to specific sins. That's what it means to confess. We confess sin in general. I was born in sin, Psalm 51. You know, I'm sinful from my mother's womb, etc. That's a general sin. Uh, against you only have I sinned. But there is specific confession for specific sins. The Holy Spirit says, you've just lied there. You saw that. I saw you. You just lied. Sorry, Lord. Forgive my lying. You've been mean there. You told a joke at somebody else's expense, 
And though they half laughed, they hurt, it hurt them. You were mean. That's not love. Sorry, Lord, help me watch my words. You told that story about yourself, but you exaggerated that story so that it would be funnier. You stretched the truth in such, an ex- such a dramatic way. That's a kind of lying, you know, drawing attention to yourself. Sorry, Lord. You try to deceive that person by only telling the truth and some of the truth, not the whole truth. You were economical with the truth. I don't want you to be like that. Tell the whole truth, the Holy Spirit says. Sorry, Lord. Specific sins need to be confessed specifically. So confess them one by one as he draws your attention to them. You'll never get to the end of them if you keep trying to make a list. But the ones that we need, that he draws our attention to and we need to confess, he'll take care of that. Just walk in the light as he is in the light and he will draw it to our attention. I must confess, David Robertson, if you're watching this online, this is your book. Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life with all your notes in it. I did mean to give it back to you before you went to Australia, but when you come back, you can get it. I've confessed, specifically. Make a place. Um, At the same time as you confess to receive his faithfulness and his forgiveness. He says he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you need to hear that again? He's promised to forgive us. He will not break that promise. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. No sin is too hard for him. He is faithful. He will help you. He won't let you down. That's what John is saying to us. And he's just. He's so just because sin doesn't go, it's a very unpopular thing to say this, I know that sin doesn't go unpunished in God's economy either on the cross or eternally in hell. Two options. He is just. He's fair because Jesus laid down his life for us and carried our sin. He is just and will forgive us our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. He is full of integrity. There's no darkness in him at all. That means sin has to be dealt with. They have to be purified from his people. And they will have to have their judgment in his big economy. And then how do we get back to God? What's the other solution? The big thing, God is light. We must walk in the light, he says. Walk in the light as he is in the light. So that means more than just ask for forgiveness. That means seek fellowship with him, believing his word of forgiveness. And you notice how he says it's fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. So as we walk in the light, 
There's an ongoing cleansing by virtue of what Jesus did for us, dying for us, purifying us from every sin, all sin. The blood is a um, strange picture, isn't it, for modern people? Um, blood cleanses our bodily systems internally, the doctors tell us, biologically, but most of our experience with blood, it's not cleansing, it's dirt, isn't it? You've got blood on your clothes, and you've really got to wash it off. It's really quite, quite a dirty stain, blood. But in this case, for John, blood stands for a life given up. That's what it's done. So blood is, is life-giving, but it's life given up in death. That's what it stands for. Just um, a kind of shorthand, as it were. We were thinking this morning from chapter 4, verse 2, that Jesus laid down his life. That's a wonderful thing. But the, the other side of that is that in his death, when we talk about his blood, we are reminding ourselves that he did not give a blood transfusion, a pint of blood, as it were. He did not lay down his, his, his blood like that. What we are remembering is that Jesus' blood was shed, not given. It was sacrifice, like an animal, is, his blood is shed when you kill it to eat it. And he was treated like an animal, like a sacrifice. His blood was shed, not a voluntary giving like blood transfusion, a violent taking. Yes, he laid down his life. The author of life was handed over by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. But wicked men put him to death, nailing him on a cross. And that's what his blood means. So the Father's great unfinished project is to eliminate every sin from his people. Every sin, no matter how big, no matter how small. So let's be realistic. Believe his word. Make a place for it. Don't try and pretend you're without sin or have never sinned. Confess your sins. Although I say this is quite a wearying process. And when I speak to elderly saints, sometimes they'll share this with you, with me. People that you admire for their walk with God through a long life of service. And they'll say the same things. Oh, goodness, John. Sin is so wearying. I'm glad I'm at my age I am. Because I've got less years or days or months to battle with this. And one day... There'll be no more battle, just victory and light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. How deep the desire of God the Father is to have us in fellowship. He moved heaven and earth, literally, so that we could be forgiven and be in fellowship with him. That's my last thought. He gave everything to have you, just for you, for your sake. And so he invites us tonight, walk in the light, walk in the light, have fellowship. Let's pray.
Our shame, Heavenly Father, would keep us from confessing. Confessing to one another. Sometimes our sin cannot be hidden, and that's a severe mercy. It's a shame to be revealed, and yet it's a gracious shame if it leads to repentance. Give us the gift of repentance to life, that we may walk in the light with you, and that keeping short accounts with you, saying sorry straight away, and looking to you for strength and help, we will bring you pleasure, give you glory, and deepen our joy. And help us, Lord, to know the wisdom when to share with one another something of our struggles, that we may help those who are going through hard times, that we may walk in the light together as he is in the light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.